everyone. Thanks for joining us here at Talk for Freedom. This is episode 16. And we just want to, again, thank you for tuning in. Today, we actually are going to talk about um, something that is very profound. Um, you know, it's a, it's a definitely a very deep conversation, human trafficking and the church. So we're going to get into some really profound conversation. And we just want to say that we're, we're going to, this entire time, we've been talking nothing but truth. And we're going to continue that with this um, topic. And uh, our hope is that no one uh, gets offended, but know that we, the Freedom Chasers, are uh, a faith-based organization, and we believe that this issue of human trafficking is only solved um, through our faith and through uh, Jesus Christ and what He came to do on earth. And so we want to bring that uh, up in this conversation, and so we hope that you tune in through the entire conversation and know that, again, um, we're not calling anybody out we're actually just making sure that everyone knows the truth behind um human trafficking in the church so let's get started so caesar thanks for that introduction so in case anyone doesn't uh know this already my name is chuck paul uh i have my own organization chuck paul llc which i am an advocate and an abolitionist i am a investigator and i am a consultant and a trainer as well, I'm also a Christian, and anyone that doesn't know that about me, I'm saying I am a Christian. I'm a man of faith. I wasn't always a man of faith. I have a past just like anyone else. But we want to talk to you today about human trafficking in the church. And yes, there's human trafficking even in the Bible. We just called it different things, slaveries back then. And mm -hmm. one of the cases of slavery that we'd like to highlight is Joseph, as a matter of fact. You know, Joseph is with his brothers in the fields, and they're jealous of him. And then they see some slave traders and they decide to sell him to the slave traders. And Joseph ends up going you know, into Egypt as a sold as a slave. I mean, this is someone that could be like any one of us today. You know, they're out there doing their thing and maybe you have family members that don't like you and they decide to exploit you. And that's exactly what happened with Joseph. His own family exploited him, which happens very much today. All too often, and I, it's as many as, so, you know, if it, half the cases, sometimes the first traffickers are relatives mm -hmm. for an individual. That's true. And we even have it around the world today where, you know, fathers sell their daughters because they sell their daughters for equipment or they sell their daughters for money for the rest to support the rest of the family. In many, in many cultures, that's still acceptable. But you go back, it's even in the Bible. Yeah. So Joseph ends up getting sold and he ends up going to work for this guy who's a, who's a, commander in Pharaoh's army named Potiphar. And so he's, he's working in Potiphar's house. So he's actually a labor trafficking victim because he's being forced as a labor slave. So first there was the exchange, right? The right. exchange of money, whatever it is that they got, um, the exchange of money. Now he is with Potiphar and now he is being exploited for right. labor for labor and he's making Potiphar money I mean it says in the Bible that everything that Joseph touched for Potiphar is prospered so mm -hmm. Potiphar is reaping the gain he's creating the financial gain and Joseph's not getting anything out of it except you know, he's working for Potiphar for free he's not getting any of the, of the rewards and Potiphar's wife decides well she wants to have sex with Joseph so she actually goes to sexually assault him literally grabs him in a way that his clothing is detached and he runs away naked and then instead of 
you know, him being protected, she runs to Potiphar and she blames him. And then he's, he's, he's criminalized for this. So Joseph goes from a labor trafficking victim to a sex trafficking victim. And then, he, as we see way too often, it happens in labor today. In today's world, labor trafficking, you have individuals. It's not uncommon for an individual that's working in the fields to be sexually assaulted while working. And labor trafficking, so putting it in today's terms is, you know, maybe someone, like you said, who is working in the fields and getting little to no pay. Or behind a kitchen, yeah, right? Um, exactly. Re remember that for human trafficking to be human trafficking, it has to involve force, fraud, and coercion. Right. Unless you're a child, of course. Yeah. But you have, it's it's common practice today that the overseers that have these migrant workers that are working in the field, not just necessarily migrant workers, there's actually American citizens out there mm -hmm. that are being exploited, that are working in, as laborers. It's common practice that if the overseer decides they like a particular person, male or female, to rape them. Mm-hmm. And literally the rest of the workers are, are, are taught, you don't say nothing, you don't do anything. It's not uncommon. So Joseph experienced the same thing. I mean, his, his, his master's wife decided she liked him. She was going to rape him. He runs away naked. But instead of, you know, instead of him being believed that, hey, this is going to happen to me, he was victimized. He was, he was then blamed and imprisoned. And that happens today, too. We know we have that. It does happen where we have victims of sex trafficking or labor trafficking that f come to authorities and say, I was victimized, they end up being incarcerated because of whatever their legal status or they're, or they're saying, well, you're just another prostitute. And then what happens nowadays, unfortunately, is that once they've been arrested for prostitution twice, that third arrest is, is now considered a felony and they're marked as a felon, a convicted felon, they can't get a regular job, even though that maybe they were getting arrested for prostitution, but actually they were being sex trafficked. Mm -hmm. So that's that criminalization. And the reason we talk about Joseph is because we see almost every aspect of human trafficking in Joseph's story. Right. You know, again, going from, from the labored exploitation to becoming a victim, um, sexually assaulted, and then he becomes a criminal when he really is innocent. Right. You know, and that's what these young women, young men, men, women, anybody, they're innocent. They become victims. But the only way to maybe sometimes help them is to put them in the system. Right. And that's only a portion of it because there's another part of it where they just get charges mm -hmm. for, you know, drug use. And they weren't even the ones that were taking those drugs voluntarily. Mm -hmm. They were forced to. And then there's the piece of um, criminal charges against, you know, having armed weapons and things like that when it was their trafficker that coerced them into mm -hmm. being in that situation. And so there, there's these particular stories in the Bible that as Christians we know about and we've read about hundreds and thousands of times, yet we don't actually place them into that category of, wow, that that's human trafficking right there. But when you come to know human trafficking, you can spot it a, a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage you that the next time that you read your Bible, you look for these kinds of situations because there's others that we've noticed as well. Um, there's situations, for example, with um, Abraham having different co concubines, right? And we look at the situation between Sarah and Hagar when Hagar was basically forced to have sexual uh, relations with Sarah's husband, which was Abraham. And Ishmael came out of that particular uh, sexual encounter. Correct. And even later on with Judah, uh, which is one of, you know, Isaac's, uh, or actually Joseph's, not, I'm sorry, Israel's sons. I'm sorry, I'm going over that. 
but uh, Judah, which is one of Israel's sons, which actually is a uh, a ancestor of Joseph and Mary for the for the lineage of Christ, and we have Tamar, who is uh, Judah's daughter-in-law, and she, both of her husbands, she gets married to one of Judah's sons. That son dies. Gets married to another one of Judah's sons. That son dies. She's now childless. She has no one to take care of her. She goes to her father-in-law and asks for him one of another one of his sons, which was tradition back then. And instead, what happens is, is that she's pushed off to the side. She actually has to prostitute herself to Judah mm-hmm. in order to get, and then she gets pregnant, and she actually, that ends up in the lineage of Christ. Mm-hmm. So she's being exploited, and she ends up in a, in a situation where eventually the Holy Spirit does redeem. And the same thing happened with Joseph. The same thing happened with many of, the, of our heroes of the Bible. Yeah. Even later on with our friend Ruth. Mm-hmm. So Ruth is a foreign girl. She actually ends up in the lineage of Christ, but she's a foreign girl, and she comes with her mother-in-law back to Israel, and she has nothing. She has nothing. But she actually, we we hear Boaz being the the hero in that story is that you know he he helps redeem her and he marries her, and then eventually she becomes part of the lineage of Christ. She's actually David's grandmother, mm-hmm. King David's grandmother. So Ruth. Um, but how did she do that? She goes to the field. She works as labor, and literally Boaz has to tell the other people in the labor, you know, just like talking about the overseers, don't touch her, don't hurt her, don't rape her. Right. And she sleeps close to him to be protected, and then eventually he takes pity on her. But even so much so, her mother-in-law says, well, you know, if you're going to bag this guy, we're going to dress you up nice and pretty, and we're going to go to him, and he ends up marrying her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sexual exploitation it's still exploitation it's in our it's in the biblical lineage and i'll stop you there just to say this that again we're talking about this because it's part of the history it's part of what's happened we mean no disrespect to anybody by bringing this up and saying hey this was this was in the bible it happened but as we know that you know we have to learn from history and and i believe that again in the bible jesus god you know all these things happened so that he can teach us you know how to learn from those events and how to learn from those moments and remember the bible is a story of redemption and so it we're, we're talking about this but we're going to get to the point where we get to the redemption the peace as well so know that when you're reading your bible maybe you haven't thought of the bible in this sense or you haven't thought of these people or these stories in these sense but it's the truth right. it's what happened and he's trying to teach us something and so we're going to make all those connections but i want to make sure that you understand that again we're getting into this and mean no disrespect but we, we want to make sure that you know what happened and why it happened. And see, but it goes back to the role of men in general. I mean, in the Bible, it is talked about, you know, that the man is the head of the household, but the, the wife is the heart of the household. Mm-hmm. It says men should be unto their wife as Christ was for the church. Well, Christ died for the church. Right. Christ made a loving sacrifice for the church to redeem the church from darkness. Literally, when he died, he went into the he went into hell, gathered those keys from hell, and he redeemed all of humanity for all of history through literally dying for the church. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. Yep. And the in the physical realm, husbands should be like that with their wives. They should be willing to die and sacrifice for their wives, for their daughters, for their children. But we talk about today. Well, you know, men are head of the household, so they have certain rights. No. What happens when we take that to that extreme is, is we give that permission for boys to be boys or mm-hmm. for 
men to be sexualized and it's okay for them to be sexually aggressive. It's not. That's not in the Bible at all. It's not anywhere in the Bible that a man is, should be sexually aggressive towards a woman. Men should be protectors of women. Men should be partners with women. Adam and Eve were partners in the garden. Yeah, she was a help. Yeah, she was his help, mm -hmm. not his slave. But I also want to highlight that Eve came along after the fact that God had created everything, right? She was the last person that God created. So in other words, God had seen everything and it was perfect, including the creation of Adam. But Adam lacked one thing, a woman. Yep. That's right. right. And so that's how important we are to men, to our counterparts, to to Jesus' heart, to God's heart. Women play such a huge role. And I think that our biggest um the biggest thing that we want to accomplish through this podcast and through this particular episode is just to highlight that as Christians, we have seen how unresponsive the church has been when it comes to the issue of human trafficking. We have felt it. We have been in situations where even church members do not understand or want to understand or even invite us to the table to have a conversation about how the church can be involved when it comes to fighting human trafficking. And we have such a passion as Christians, as believers, to be like Christ, right? And and what is it that Christ did? Where did he go? What is it that he was most involved with? Mm -hmm. The marginalized. Yes. Yep. In all of his ministry, it was the marginalized. You know, that religious leaders of the day even made a comment one time when Jesus goes in to have dinner with them and then this woman who he's been in contact with burst in mm -hmm. and she's a prostitute. Yep. We know her as Mary Magdala. Mm -hmm. She's a prostitute and she literally drops down to her feet, his feet, and she begins to clean off all of the dirt and the animal dung and the whatever on his feet because you remember he wore sandals yeah. and these were dirt roads even when he was on the roman roads they were stone but still animals went to the bathroom there there was mm -hmm. dirt there was grime and everything else so you know they hadn't offered to wash his feet which was traditional that time to wash his feet before he entered but instead this woman who's considered lowest of the low she gets down and literally uses her hair which is you know part of her beauty part of what she uses to be sold to wash his feet. Then she takes this expensive perfume, which is a year's worth of her wages, mm -hmm. that she was sleeping with men to get this. And she uses that perfume on his feet. And they and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, say, well, if you knew what kind of woman that was, you wouldn't let her touch you. I mean, I, I could hear those words today with somebody. Well, if you knew what yeah. kind of woman that is, you wouldn't let her touch you. You know what kind of guy he is? Well, he's gay. You don't sort of let him touch you. you she's, she's a this, she's a that. But Jesus says, no, she's... What she's done is beautiful and wonderful. And he tells her her sins are forgiven. And she weeps. And her tears fall to his feet. And her heart is broken. And he, he heals her broken heart. He heals her brokenness inside and out. Now let's go even deeper. That same woman, Jesus has been crucified. She's at his cross. She's there with his blood dropping to the ground. She's there. She helps bury his body, but she can't she can't get the proper treatment for his body that night because it's the Passover. Mm -hmm. She helps bury him. All of his other disciples are hidden. They're all running away except for John. John's with his mother Mary at the cross. Mm -hmm. 
But afterwards, after Jesus has been in the grave, they're hiding in an upper room. They're scared. They're afraid of what's going to happen. Jesus is God. These are all the powerful men of the church, right? The ones handpicked by Christ. His disciples, yeah. His disciples. But Mary Magdala goes to that garden. And she finds that stone pushed away. She comes back and she tells all of the apostles, hey, the stone's gone, the stone's gone, he's gone, he's up. And they don't believe her. Mm -mm. They come back, they take a look, they find the stone, they talk to angels, but even then they're like, what's going on? And they leave. And then Mary's in the garden. Now remember, Jesus has been crucified. Mm -hmm. He has just gone into hell. He has taken authority over all heaven and earth and hell together. He's in his glorious form. He has used all of this power and glory. Yet he hears in the distance a weeping ex-prostitute in the garden crying out, where is my Lord? And he stops all of creation, time and space, because one of his children is weeping for him. And he goes down in that garden, and the very first person that he appears to in all of history when his resurrected form is a former ex-prostitute that everyone else said, if you knew what kind of woman that was, you wouldn't let her touch him. Mm -hmm. That's the very first person he appears to. So we go to, on Easter Sunday to church and we dressed in our best. Those of us that go to church all the time and those of us that only go on Easter and Christmas. Because it's a holiday. Because it's a holiday. Yeah. And we, we put on our, our presentation and, and we put it on our... Christ stopped all of time. The very thing we're celebrating for a former prostitute crying in the garden, where is my Lord? Because he is the God that leaves the 99 and finds the one and rejoices over the one. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is his heart. You know, it's at the center of who he is, right? We know God to be the, the truth, the way, the life. And so this is at the center of his heart. I think he, we know that there are no mistakes or coincidences with God. And so he allows us to see these glimpses mm -hmm. for us to read into them and truly understand his nature, his nature, his loving kindness, right? Who he is. Yeah. And I think when we look back at the history of, you know, church uh, as we know it today, I think what's happened is that we've become like these powerful organizations. Like we're that's that's what church is now. It's an organization, right? It's a it's a it's a collection of all these different churches and it's it's been more about the organization than the organism. And the organism is the people, the right. people who make it, right? And and so we look back at, you know, Christ and what he did, uh, it was all always about the people. Always. And I think we have to, as a church, get back to that. It's about the people. And it's not just the people that are sitting in our chairs and pews. It's about the people that are out there that, that we need to bring in. Um, and whether we bring them into a building or the, the most important thing is, is to bring them to the Savior, to bring them to Him. That, that's the most important thing. And when we look back at our history, we've talked a little bit about the history in the, in the Bible. Let's look back at our history here when we talk back at you know, the United States of America, right? There's some important people that have stood up and have used the church to make an impact. We look back at Abraham Lincoln. Like, what did he do? Well, that's the thing is Abraham Lincoln, he's part of an abolitionist, abolitionist movement, an abolitionist movement that started in the church. So like every time that injustice and wrongs and marginalization happens, the church... <clears throat> is called by Christ and does step, steps up, steps up and says, not anymore. 
Abraham Lincoln gets voted in on a wave of support from the church, the abolitionists. Mm -hmm. He's part of what happens, utilized by the Holy Spirit, to end slavery, legally end slavery in the United States, to free the oppressed, the year of Jubilee. And then when the, when the folks that were enslaved at the time were released, they sang hymns. Mm-hmm. They sang gospel hymns about the redemption. They felt like the Israelites being freed from slavery from Egypt, because that's exactly what happened. The Spirit of God moved, and, and the enslavement ended. But that didn't bring them entire equality. No. We go fast forward into the 1960s when there's there's Jim Crow laws, and there's inequality, and there's folks being assaulted and killed and raped simply because of who they are, who they were born to be, mm-hmm. and. God wants more, calls the church. Yep. And a young preacher, young preacher yep. from Alabama. Martin Luther King Jr. Comes I mean, up. He wasn't afraid, right? He wasn't afraid to to speak on behalf of the church, uh, right. to stand up. Um, and when you hear the words that he's saying, you can tell he was inspired. <clears throat> and he was inspired by God. Like that That was his at his core. He was never afraid to show people that he was a God-fearing man. Right. I recently heard a podcast about Martin Luther King's Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous words, I have a dream. And that that particular phrase came out of a prayer session. Mm-hmm. They these slaves were gathered together praying and they were calling on the Lord to help them solve this particular issue. And this one woman in the prayer meeting kept kept prophesying and giving word of knowledge saying, I have a dream, I have a dream, I have a dream. And it became so common among them that when he wrote his speeches, he made sure that the most profound one had those words in there. It wasn't only it wasn't only a call out to future generations, but it was telling his fellow slaves, I hear you and I'm stepping up on your behalf. Yeah. Right. And so it was so powerful to me when I heard that because it was such a it's a perf- they're, they're profound words that even today resonate and and we're living the dream that he had that he called forward. And so that puts us in a position where where are we today mm-hmm. and what is our dream? What are we going to do to carry that forward? Every single one of us has a calling. And just like these people were handpicked by God for their generation and for the things that were going on in their particular world and in their environment, every single one of us is called. This particular fight will never end unless the church steps up. Every single person in the church body. And we all play a significant role. Yes, we do. Each and every one of us has a certain calling in our life. But we're all part of the body of Christ. We're not all called to be certain the same thing. But as part of the body of Christ, we are part of his hands and feet. We're called to go out there and serve the marginalized, mm-hmm. to, to go out to the unchurched, to go out to the folks that have been enslaved and entrapped, because the enemy operates in lies and darkness. And we, we talk about human trafficking, we talk about labor and sexual exploitation. This happens in darkness. It happens where everyone can see it, but it's so shrouded in the darkness that we tend to overlook it or don't see it or it's just shadowy. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit is an is a entity of light. The Word of God is of light. We as people of Christians, little Christ, that's what it means, 
are to be carrying the light and truth in our hearts and into the world. We're not called to be a bunch of campfire Christians to sit around, you know, in the light of the Holy Spirit, surrounded by darkness, going, oh, wow, this is great, while we hear all this pain and suffering out in the darkness. No, every single one of us, every man, woman, and child is called to pick up a stick and go out and light a night of fire. Yep. Yeah, we have a commandment, right, from the God. Jesus, before he ascended, gave us direction. He said, go, go. It was a, it was a verb. It means action. It doesn't mean, you know, just watch. Uh, let me do all the work. No, mm-hmm. we are the, the vessels that he's using to do the work. Yeah, and what the enemy has come and done is, again, talking back to organization, he's made us busy. So we're all busy in our own thing, right? We're all busy in our own lives and busy at work and busy, you know, even at church with all these activities. But Again, we forget that we're supposed to be that light, that fire that is supposed to ignite more fires and bring more light. And you can drop all the activities and and just go out and talk to people. Just go out and share the love of Christ. Doing that will bring more and will do way more than hosting an event or, you know, some sort of party or, or whatever. You know, that will do more. Uh, and that's why we're talking about this today, because we feel that the church, again, has been silent when it comes to this issue. And we need the church to be the loudest when it comes to this issue. And the reason we need the church to be the loudest is because we 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 believe the one true God, the answer, is the one who can make the change. Right. right. He's the one that can change people's hearts. He's the one that can restore someone who has been broken, just like he did with Mary. But even Christ said that when his church is operating the way it should be, that even the gates of hell can't stand against it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that means the power of darkness, the power of all of this that seems so completely overwhelming, can't stand against that organized church. And the church is not that building, and the church is not mm-hmm. an activity, and it's not a particular pastor or preacher or priest or pope. The church is the body of Christ. It's the people. Mm-hmm. The church is just as alive and real, filled with the Holy Spirit in the bar stool as it is in the pew. Yep. We right. can be in either one of those places. We are the body of Christ. So that means going out. That means engaging with people. It means connecting with people on a real level. It doesn't mean go out and beat people over the head with the Bible. Yeah. Wow. Serve like Christ did. Christ didn't come into an area and immediately start you know, preaching and telling people how wrong they were. No, he came in and he healed the sick. He provided food, he provided you know, comfort, he provided friendship, and then he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So he met their physical and their spiritual. He treated us as whole human beings. You know, we are spirits that embody a, that live in a body but have a soul. He treated us on all three levels. Right. And that's how we are to called as Christians to treat other people. We treat them spiritually physically and emotionally mentally Mm -hmm. i think part of the thing too is that you know the enemy we know he has come to deceive right and as a deceiver with the issue of human trafficking he's not only using that against the traffickers and against the victims but he's using that against the church itself Mm -hmm. he's deceived the church to a point to where they we entertain each other we entertain ourselves 
and we don't actually capture the reality of who we are called and commanded to be, yep. right? And that's like Chuck said, we go, we go to the places where they are. If they never want to step foot into our churches, that's not a problem because our church is equipped and ready to go out to them, yep. right? And that's going to the dark places where the enemy has them bound by deception, has them bound physically and and tormenting them, right? And we know, like we've mentioned, Jesus is the only one who brings real freedom. And we are little Christ. We are Christians. That's that's the definition of a Christian is little little Christ. And so when when we begin to understand, I don't think that the church hasn't gotten involved because they don't want to. I think it's because they're truly they're truly confused and not they definitely are undereducated on what human trafficking is. One, two, their role. Three, how they can become active participants against this fight. And so we're hoping that we clarify all of that in this particular segment is that we say, this is what human trafficking is. This is who the church is called to be and that we call you to action and that we call you to say, it's okay if you don't understand, Mm -hmm. ask us. We're willing to invite us to the table and we're willing to have that conversation. But it's no longer okay for you to not step up and do something. Each and every one of us are called and commissioned. We're, we're, we're commissioned. The, the Lord has given us every single tool that we need to become active participants against this problem. And he's, he's handed it over to us. He, he said, you know, there's no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. And that's not just talking about, you know, physical weapons. That's talking about the deception that comes along with this. That's talking about our families being protected. That's talking about our church building, our finances. That's talking about everything, right? So we have, we are more than equipped. I mean, for crying out loud, we have the living God living inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit that was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead. That's power. I mean, he raised him from the dead. If, if, If we are not believing that we are capable as a church to come out against this issue, then we are not Christians. We don't have Christ in us. And, yeah. I, and I'm sorry I have to say that, but I'm not sure what watered-down gospel you're talking about, but my Jesus raised was raised from the dead. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. It's, it's the power in us that, that has been instilled in us. He told us in the book of Acts, he said, I filled you with power. Um, and so we're going to end today's um, episode with that. And it all starts with the conversation. So what I encourage you to do is go back to your church and start that conversation. Start that conversation. Talk to your pastor. Pastors, I challenge you. You have a, a, a very hard job. It's not easy being a pastor. Um, but I challenge you to start this conversation. Start talking about you know, human trafficking, sexual exploitation, you know, victimization, the reality of it, and what it's, what's going on. The truth is that it's going on in churches. That's the part that is sad. It's going on in churches. And we need to stop that. We need to start talking about it stop that so i challenge you go back start talking about it to someone um again it's it's all done with respect we respect everyone who is listening to this podcast and we uh, hope that you were um you were not um i guess what's the word um hurt by this um or offended by this at all but it's the truth uh it is the truth and that's what we're here for is to bring the truth um and so 
we uh, invite you to the next episode where we will continue this conversation. And uh, we hope you have a great evening. And please, again, share this.